Welcome back to Talking Points, the podcast that shines a light on life in the performing arts. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. Today I'm speaking with the divine Brooke Casson. Brooke Lockett, as she was known throughout her career, grew up in Ballarat and had the dream run to the stage. She was accepted into the Australian Ballet School by the age of 14 and then straight into the company on graduation. It was the dream run. In this most beautiful and brave interview, Brooke speaks about her career at the Australian Ballet. We speak about promotions, about being the face of the company, the perception of rank, and about hard conversations. But we also talk about so much more, about new careers, about meeting her husband, becoming a mum, and Brooke's wonderful life post-retirement. Just quickly interrupting this episode to let you know that Season 3 of Talking Points is sponsored by Energetics. Energetics specialise in creating sustainable, world-class dancewear for the stars of tomorrow. Perform and feel your best at every stage of your dance journey in Energetics premium, high-performance fabrics. Try them out with a 20% discount for all Talking Points listeners using the code BROOK20 at the checkout. Shop their extensive range online at energetics.com.au or for our US listeners, it's energetics.com. T's and C's apply. We are here with the most beautiful Brooke Casson today. Brooke, welcome. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) We're just so excited to hear your life story in dance. And I mean, I really want to hear eventually how you've transitioned out of this world, but let's like crawl right back to the beginning. And can you tell us about where you grew up and and how you started your life in dance? Sure. So I grew up in country Victoria, Ballarat. Wow. And I guess my mum and dad, well, I'd probably say more so my mum, but you know, ballet started at three. She just thought, I mean, she danced, my grandma danced, like everyone had danced, but I think her reasoning was obviously it's great for a little girl, for posture, for, Mm -hmm. um, you know, so many things. I think it's great for little kids. So I started ballet at three and I have the most distinct memory of I loved the discipline from the beginning. So I loved the uniform, having the hair done, going. I remember that first class in like a dark kind of hall type, you know, scenario. And I think it was just literally love at first sight. I loved ballet from the beginning. Wow. It's funny because I feel like kids go one way or the other. They just love that discipline. I really resonate with that. Yes. I just love the structure. I loved that you could just sort of almost go into a meditative state because you just knew the structure so well. Absolutely. And so you just loved it. I loved it. And I think funnily enough, that's something I took probably the whole way through my journey and career was Mm. I always loved that. People would say I was always fanatical about my grooming and about... You know, and I remember a little phase at, oh, probably what age, maybe like 10, 12, where, you know, some of the girls were going through that hair, um, you know, having the pieces out and all this stuff. And oh, yeah, the, like, two, like, the two little you bits know, of hair exactly. on the front of the part dragged over <laughs> so the awful. eyes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I remember wanting to be cool and try and do it. Mum's like, absolutely not. And I actually, I love that she instilled that in me. Mm. You know, when you get ready for ballet, this is what you do. I think it's 
it sets up a beautiful respect for the mm. art form and the structure of ballet and mm. that discipline. And so what was the turning point where it becomes this is more than ballet on a Saturday morning? I think quite young I was like, I want to be a ballerina. And, you know, you have everyone like, oh, yes, what do you really want to do? Mm. You know, that kind of feeling. Because it, it's quite a bizarre career path because you really need to choose that path quite early on mm-hmm. to get the integral training that you need at that age. And that's probably when I was 13 when I auditioned for the Australian Ballet. It was like a, um, they called it like an interstate, even though I wasn't interstate, but it was like an um, ITP children's program where you'd go just a couple of nights a week. Oh, I see, like an associate's program or something. Exactly. They changed the name so many times. I'm not sure what it's called now. but (laughs) So that was driving an hour and a half twice a week. My mum, I look back and I think my mum, all the stuff she did, it's wild. But so I would... um, leave school a little bit early, go mm-hmm. down for my classes, and then I'd actually stay with a friend on the Friday night and do the Saturday classes. That's when, you know, you, year six camp, we did a trip to Melbourne. Okay. And my dad came on the camp and part of the Melbourne tour was going to the art centre. Was it really? And I said to my dad sitting in the theatre, this is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to be. And my dad now reflects on it and says, he thought, oh, gosh, I've got a dreamer on my hands, you know, <laughs> what's happening here? But there was something about theatre and sitting in a theatre and whether I saw theatre, whether I was, you know, just on a theatre tour, mm-hmm. I felt this immense, deep sense of this is home. This is where I want to be. And even still when I walk into a theatre, I feel that that tingle, those goosebumps, that amazing feeling, that energy. So I think it was a very deep feeling early on. And then when you start doing those things in Melbourne and being surrounded by more talent, more people that are like-minded, you think, oh, these are my people, Mm. this is it. And then at 14, 15, I was accepted into the full-time level five program, the four-year full-time program, and moved to Melbourne. Wow. So 14, move away from home. Yes, yes. So you're not commuting then? Not commuting, moved to Melbourne. Where do you live? So I moved in with, we found a lovely lady through a family friend Mm -hmm. who she'd never had children and took me in as like a boarder per Mm -hmm. se. And yeah, I actually, I was so on such a path and this, this tunnel vision of this is what I want. I don't think I stopped to think this is hard, I'm homesick, you know, it was, I was always very aware of what my family were doing Mm -hmm. in order to send me there financially, emotionally, all of that. So there was a big driver of wanting to make them proud. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and then started my full-time training at the Australian Ballet School. As a mum now. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine sending in sort of 10 years time? No. It's incredible, isn't it? And I have, um, I've got two lovely nieces on my husband's side and I remember looking at them when they were 14 and thinking, how did I move out of home at this age? Mm -hmm. Like, how did I actually do that? But to get that training, to go on that path, Mm -hmm. it's a journey. And I loved school and I went to a great school and I remember a few of the teachers being like, you know, are you sure about this? Your academic studies are so important. And My family were incredibly supportive and, you know, my mum especially said that will always be there. Mm -hmm. You know, she still will finish her schooling in Melbourne, but she also can always study later. She's got one chance at this with a young body Mm. and, you know, let's let's take that chance Mm. and let's go for it trying to 
you know, fulfill this dream. Mm, and you're right. I mean, as much as people don't want to often have that conversation, it's an art form that you need to have those crucial training years. And really, if you're not on that path, by sort of 12 to 14, the moment has passed. Totally, totally. Mm. And there is always so much opportunity to study and you grow and evolve so much as a human that mm. maybe what I wanted to study straight after school back then would probably be completely different <laughs> to what I'm passionate about now. 100%. So actually the advice was great. <laughs> mm. So you got to follow that dream. And so you go through the school, you're accepted straight into the company. I mean, it does <laughs> sound the dream run. It does. And I think there's this misconceived idea sometimes that I had quite a fairy tale run, mm -hmm. but um, it certainly wasn't always easy. And and I can look back now and say this was a benefit, but I was never the number one naturally talented superstar. I was always probably that second or third kind of really had to work so hard to get to where I got. And I think that goes in your favour because I think it gives you a certain hunger, a certain work ethic. You can't just rely on all the natural facility and the gift of, yeah. you know what I mean, that natural. So thing. interesting. And so David McAllister offered you your first contract. Yes. What is it like entering a, a company? Like what were the adjustments that maybe that you didn't expect? I had some lucky opportunities where I got to guest as a school student with the company. Mm -hmm. I think I was actually level seven for this opportunity because mm -hmm. it's amazing the little moments that sort of are really meaningful. And I, a couple of us were sent to, for the Sydney season of the Film Garde to be the little chickens, you know, like yes. in the big chook suit. It's a hilarious role, but lovely to be a, around the company. Mm -hmm. Now on the day of opening night, all these crazy injuries were happening, a couple, I think a virus had gone through the company. They needed someone to learn the entire ballet as a core girl dancing. And I had to learn the whole ballet that as a level seven student, wow. you know, in this studio with the all these people you look up to and mm. aspire to be. And I remember David telling me a few years later, he said, you know, you got your job with the company that day. Really? Because this is what I always say when I mentor and talk to young, um, aspiring, you know, pre-professional young adults, um, I'm like, it's actually not just about the talent and the winning competitions and all that stuff. Mm. It's actually how will you fit into a company? What kind of company member will you be, you know, your musicality and how you pick up classwork? They are watching all of that because that's the reality of the job. You might have to learn a new part. Curtain goes up at 7.30 and you need to be ready to go. Yeah. So that was a big opportunity for me in Level 7. And then going into the company was... I was amazing. I was just so excited to have I mean, the job. Your eyes have lit up just <laughs> thinking about that. I was just so excited to have a job. Mm. The for me, the plan B was, I don't know, um, you know, doing a Pilates course or maybe I thought maybe physio, like all those normal things that people maybe go into. Mm -hmm. My parents couldn't financially send me all over Europe to try and find a job. I mm. also found it at that time, you know, 17, 18, overwhelming to think of moving mm -hmm. overseas and it's different now because it's so accessible. Then it felt like a really big move. You're right. The options were limited. Like if you Absolutely. didn't get in the national company, it was Europe or where next? And as you say, people look for that adjunct, don't they? Like Pilates and yeah, you know, physio. Things that things might be that... aligned with mm. it, but another path. So I was also realistic in knowing that 
if I didn't get that job, then there would be another path of something that was right mm. for me. Okay, so you, you're in the core. What is life like day to day? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was always on my whole 12-year career, <laughs> unless I was um, off injured, but the days are huge. The company performed close to 200 shows a year. You're travelling six months of the year. It's um, something you have to really build your stamina up mm. for. But to be on stage all the time, that was always my favourite part, so I loved it. One thing I wanted to ask about was you got injured. You had a big injury. Mm. How many years into your your career? So so the first one was I ripped it in the air in a class. Like ACL? Um, meniscus. Okay. Um, and lateral tears. Most people do the, um, the medial. Mm-hmm. So they were quite severe. And he said to me, you'll probably need the other one done in about five years. The second one was a wear and tear. We had to choose when to do it. The first one was no option. I ripped, it was I was in surgery a couple of days later. Wow. I think I went into the second one with a lot more understanding of. It was so overwhelming, the first one, because you come out of surgery and then, and I had a few complications with internal bleeding and a few issues, but you go into a studio basically learning to walk again, mm. let alone then the build-up of the bar and, the, you know, we're very lucky with the Australian Ballet's team getting you back on. I had a lot of mental issues I had to overcome. Mm. Once I build up to getting back to that Grand Allegro, to get rid of that little mind spasm type thing that would come into my head of thinking, well, the last time I did a huge big Grand Jeté, you know. This is what happened. This is what happened. And your rehab, you go through these amazing, you know, step by step to get you ready for that point. Mm. Yeah, and it was the first time in my life I had to contemplate, well, who is Brooke if I'm not Brooke the ballerina? Mm. And that was a big one to really get over mentally. Yeah, I bet. I'd love to revisit that as we we head towards, you know, your thoughts about, you know, coming to the end of your career. Mm. I guess a bit of a tricky topic in ballet is promotions. And you were, you know, I guess objectively speaking, Making it into the Australian ballet is the dream, but within the ranks of the company, there's obviously competition. Mm. Can you speak about like your experience of promotions within the company and just how you, you dealt with that? I've actually never really probably as openly talked about this, but let's go there. Okay. Let's go to sort of later in my career. So mm-hmm. I got to Corifei, so I was promoted to Corifei. And so just for anyone who doesn't know, it's you enter as a quarter ballet member yes. and then the next rank in the Australian ballet at least is Corifei. Exactly. So leader of the core. So, I mean, I did, especially middle to later of my career, majority all soloist work. So I was getting great a couple of principal roles, but I got to do great work. Mm-hmm. It's really hard when you're in it to, and it is something that did become mentally start to bother me, I guess, later in my career when I would see, say you would see people maybe being promoted when you were doing a lot of work. And for me, because I did a lot of media for the company and as my profile really grew, Mm -hmm. people just assumed that I was a higher rank than I was. And even still people in media things will say, oh, you know, the top ballerina. I was never the top ballerina. I also was never under the illusion or had the goal to be a principal artist. That Mm -hmm. was never something for me. It would have been lovely to have gotten the rank, the recognition for the work I did. Mm -hmm. But I had a brilliant, the greatest coach I had in my career, which was Johnny Eliason. He's um, an amazing Danish coach and he would come out yearly. And he was a huge advocate for me, still a very dear friend. And he said to me once, because he's like, 
he was very honest about it. He's like, it's ridiculous that you haven't gotten that mm. title. But he said, but you have to take a step back and you have to think about the title's just almost ego in many ways. He's like, you're doing the work. And what's it actually about? It's about the work. When I look at the Australian Ballet, they have this internal joke of the soloist curse where they get promoted to soloist and then they actually don't get a lot of work. What he said to me was, he's like, you love being on stage. So you're on doing your core work, which is also bettering when you get up and do your soloist mm. work or a principal role. Mm. And it was such great advice. I just realised I let go of that, wanting that. And I think the last two years of my career were my best dancing I ever did mm. because it actually didn't matter. Yeah. And I I got to do roles that were meant something to me and I I just let go of that. A lot of people spend time in their career yearning so much for that. And, yes, recognition's important and, yes, people should get it. But for me, I had to let go of that. Were to you really cranky at David, though? Like those mid-year interviews, are you saying like... I've got a lot of respect for David. I have a huge respect for any director and what they must go through. Mm -hmm. I had issues with some staff, absolutely. Um, the the outpour of love when I finished mm. meant more than any title ever would have. Yeah, and I could see that. It was, I was so blown away by, and to this day I just still think, uh, yeah, I, I all I ever wanted to do was touch people mm -hmm. and I did and I, I felt... Um, you know, it's such a privilege to have that career and be mm. in that company. And I got some great forks in the roads of huge opportunities that I think at times the ballet weren't so happy about because I wasn't the principal artist. But they also reminded me, um, and Napoleon Perders was a huge one, where I got to do three huge campaigns with him while he was sponsoring wow. the ballet. And I know for a fact that couple of the campaigns about like, oh, we'd really perhaps like you to use, you know, one of our principal artists. And he said, you take care of the ballet. I'll take care of who I want to use for my beauty campaigns. And he actually did some amazing mentoring with me and said to me, you need to think about your future. You need to also think about your brand. He's like, I think there's huge opportunity there for me. And that's when I thought, okay, this is actually bigger than just my career in this. Mm -hmm. And I have to, as Australians, and I hate this tall poppy stuff, but we're so funny about not wanting to be singled out, not wanting to be something special, this mm. apologist stuff, which I hate in so many ways. I think there's also a really beautiful way where you can actually go about like really grasping huge opportunities, mm. which have actually been amazing for my future. And I was really lucky to have an incredible network around me outside of the ballet mm -hmm. that helped me on that path of forging just paths that would be good for me in the long run, mm -hmm. post-career. You were, at that period, the face of the ballet. You were so well, you know, recognised. And so... You know, I actually think that's so wonderful that you've been able to speak to that, but also that you've been able to reconcile it to get what it was that you were giving back to to audiences. Mm, and I think you have to tap into, I am a sensitive soul. You know, I, I dealt with that at the time and through the time. And that does take time yeah. to get to that place where you're like, I'm actually okay with that. And But, you know, you can be cranky. At, oh, and don't I, worry, I, I have yeah. those moments. <laughs> I would every yearly review, you know, and, and what, what I think is frustrating because mm. I always had this slight business part to my brain 
what I found frustrating as it got to every yearly review, you know, that that doesn't exist in a corporate world. If you're delivering the work, if you're representing the company, if you're, you know, doing the 6am photo shoots, doing the interviews after, because I could speak and I was always put out there, you are compensated. That doesn't happen in the ballet. Mm. So that's what became frustrating the more I evolved in the, you know, the, the way I thought and that, you know, understanding of that corporate side, not that it's at all corporate, it is an arts organisation, but that did get frustrating. Mm. But I cared about the greater part of it. I cared so deeply and still do about the company. Mm. And I'm just a big believer in dealing with things in a graceful way and in a way too that sits with your mm. values and your morals. And I'm really proud of what I did and what I achieved. And it was enough for me. And I love going now. And now to have a daughter and take her, my daughter and my husband couldn't care what rank I was. They're just so excited that I was a ballerina and that mummy worked at the <laughs> opera house once. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So that, it shifts. It really does shift. And I think as well, the minutiae while you're in it seems so important. Mm. But it's, as you say, if the, bigger, the picture bigger picture from the outside. A very, very select few would know the internal intricacies of the ranks. Totally. I wanted to ask about how you then come towards decisions around retirement. Mm. Because it's what you said earlier, it's so focused from so early on. The skill set is, you know, in a sense, very narrow. How did you come to that decision? So I had a great couple of years with um, rep that was suited to me, some really lovely opportunities. Graham Murphy always gave me lots of incredible opportunities. And then when I did Clara in the Nutcracker, which was a great mm-hmm. role for me because it really suited my personality. I love the score. I love the ballet. And I remember taking my curtain call at the end of the Sydney season. You know, mm-hmm. I've come back from two big injuries. I'm 12 years in, or I'll probably say 11 or 10 because it was probably a year before I did retire. But I took my curtain call and I had this out-of-body experience where I thought, I think it's enough now. Like, I think I was always very conscious of wanting to finish. People still say you you finish so young. I really wanted to finish dancing my best Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to finish in a really positive headspace loving it and I didn't want to miss out on having a family and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to miss out on maybe an opportunity in another career. And I think that's when I thought it's time to start thinking and that was a year out from, you know, so that was just a me moment inside. It wasn't something I shared with people and... Mm -hmm. Then I sort of started really thinking about the opportunities and lots of people say, oh, I'd give you a job, I'd give you a job, all these different ideas. But what really comes from that is, you know, so I did have a very good friend in Sydney who ran a real estate um, company and he said, I think you'd be great in it, you know, just think about it. So then I started sort of looking into that. I started studying real estate, would study overnight to get my licence and then I started putting everything in motion of when do I want to retire? I wanted to choose a ballet I loved, a role I loved, and a time that suited. I wanted to retire at home in Melbourne, mm-hmm. for my, and I'm in my, on my home arts home stage. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and then I sort of started to make the call that I would finish on Sleeping Beauty in the like June July season the next year. And then it's amazing once you make that decision, it's like you know your shows and your performances are just another level of just letting go. And relinquishing to that, holding on and working so hard towards certain people's approval. Yes. I'd always say to people, it's the craziest journey. I 
I think I had severe adrenal fatigue at the end of, um, I'd say, you know, the curtain comes down, you have this rapturous applause, you have then this minute to sit with that, then you could have a coach coming back and completely tearing your show apart. Really? To then take your makeup off, get changed and go to stage door and have all these fans. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Coaches <laughs> come back after the show. Yes. And critique. Yes. Oh, yes. Really? <laughs> yes. I can admit, I've never yeah. been aware of that. I have to say, I think that's something really wonderful that David Hallberg, I think, has implemented, that it's not to happen straight after. Some people like that. Some people don't. Obviously, we have to better the show mm-hmm. every day, but I am in agreement that I don't think it should be straight after the show. I think let people sit with that. You also know when you've had a bad show. Mm. You're also very aware of the bad moments. <laughs> I was just about right? to say, I mean, <laughs> ballerinas, dancers, <gasps> anybody in the arts are typically so, you know, they're harshest yeah, critics. Absolutely. You know, and then you'd go out to stage door and you'd have all these fans and then the fatigue also from the show. So it's a lot of emotions in a couple of hours. Yes. <laughs> to then go home to your little service department and sit there on your own with your cup of tea and your Vegemite toast or whatever you want for supper. It's, you know, it's a... It's a lot. It's a lot. And I got to the point too where I was a bit... I was tired of travel and mm-hmm. rep was coming back that I'd done. And something I spoke very openly about with David McAllister at the end was I'm 30 and I'm still in a change room with 18-year-olds and a lot shifts in that time. Mm-hmm. And I loved them and I loved playing Mama Bear and all those things. But there comes a time where I was like, this has been my childhood dream and I think I'm ready for different dreams, Mm. my grown-up Brooke dreams. Yes. I still remember you finished in yellow. I can still remember (laughs) the costume. So isn't it interesting, despite all of that in the background, the forward-facing the memory of that is so joyful. Mm. What was your final role? So I did Canary Fairy mm-hmm. in this um, David McAllister's Leaving Beauty. I always, you know, call me a sucker, but I loved, I loved the big classics. I loved being in a tutu. That's what I loved when I was little. That's what I loved right at the end. And I wanted to finish on that big classic. And, you know, it was kind of um, sentimental in some ways, but beautiful because the canary fairy comes on as the very last character to do her beautiful little sparkle before, you know, curtain down. So it felt like a really lovely role to finish on. And I remember there was all these injuries and sickness happening in that week. And I, um, it's bizarre when you're retiring because you think I can't get injured. I can't do anything. I had so many people coming, so much was happening. And I was about to move my whole life the next week to Sydney. So it was a lot going on, but I, my, the ballet mistress of the time, she called me that day, that day or the day before and said, now, darling, do you want me to take you out of your core work tonight so you're just finishing on Canary? And I said, absolutely not. I've spent my whole life doing my whole career, mm-hmm. doing my core work and my soloist, you know, or principal mm-hmm. work. I want to finish doing what I've always done. Because I felt an enormous sense of integrity that that was my rank, that's what I always did mm-hmm. and that's what I will finish doing. So Wow. I can see such joy in, you know, the recollections of that time. So you leave the ballet. Can you tell us what your life looks like now? So I left the ballet and went into real estate, which was crazy. And it was selling, it was managing um, people's portfolios and their rentals. It was working with developers, working with architects, marketing. It was like throwing yourself in the absolute. You know, you talk about skill sets and what's transferable 
what I really learned was that there's actually so much that's transferable as a dancer, you know, the mm-hmm. discipline, the a lot of work cultures is it's all right, we'll come back and do it tomorrow, whereas ballet mindset is I've got to finish it. You know, curtain always goes up that night. And mm-hmm. I think people underestimate a dancer's ability to relearn, to re-educate, to learn something, to really throw themselves into something. I went from a non-verbal career of 12 years to having to talk to people every day. Lucky I do love talking. <laughs> but it was, um, I loved that interaction with people. It was also really intense. You know, it's quite a male-dominant career. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, met my now husband. <laughs> um, you would put Rob and I together and think, what could these two possibly have in common? But what was incredible about when we met was in some ways we were going through a very similar time in mm-hmm. our life, which is bizarre and beautiful in so many yes. ways. And and I wasn't at my best. I was a little low and I was a little unsure as to really what I wanted to do. And I'd never really met someone before and not felt like I was feeling great. And, Mm. you know, so it was really, really interesting. And he was so helpful for me in that time and in that transition and a real believer in you can do anything you want to do. And he still to this day, whenever we catch up with friends of mine that either have just left or are still in the ballet, he's like, I just don't understand why you guys don't believe in yourself more. Yeah. And you've gone on to have a beautiful little girl. We did. We had a beautiful little Violet four years ago. Wow. And um, then you go through a whole new rebirth yourself, Mm -hmm. right? I think motherhood's the greatest role I've ever had. And I I am a nurturer and I love looking after people and having a baby was, um, yeah, something I always wanted to do. So to go on that journey with Rob and to become you know, a parent and do that together. It's, yeah, unbelievable. It's so interesting. Earlier you said, I was thinking about leaving the ballet because I wanted to have a family. And I find that that's such a brave statement, really, especially as a single woman Mm. exiting the company. Um, Definitely. And behind the scenes of that, which, you know, people don't see was I hadn't had a period for over a year. I'd had a couple of doctors say, you will really struggle to fall pregnant. And I remember talking about it with my mum and dad and thinking, will I, like, will I regret this career choice? Will I, will I be angry that I put my body under such strain? Um, You know, I went through that journey without ever having an eating disorder, but the strain you put on your body, I was 47 kilo, I was tiny, I was exhausted, you're not seeing a lot of sunlight. I started to think too about my health as a woman and not just about the will I ever have a baby but just about I want to take better care of myself. Mm. Um, That became really important to me. And, you know, early on Robbie and I have an age gap and he said to me, you know, I never thought I'd have kids again. I've got two beautiful older stepkids. And he said, but I, I want to do it with you. And he said, and I actually said to him, I actually don't know if I can. And he said, there's always a way. And he said, we will find a way. And, you know, crazily, we just fell pregnant naturally. And Violet literally is a miracle baby. Like, it's just, yeah. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. We haven't mentioned your studio, which you now are the founder Founder. and director of. Yes. Did you want to just speak speak to that before we just end? Yeah, so after... um, Obviously, after having Violet and, you know, a few years go by of just throwing yourself into motherhood, and I I know it's a 
privilege to be able to be at home with your children and to not have to rush back to work. And Mm -hmm. I feel so incredibly grateful for that. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, Mm -hmm. all of it, the not so glamorous. And then, yeah, my husband found a space. It's probably something that I've always thought might be a nice idea, but sort of let that go with motherhood and everything going on. And then we found this space and we just jumped on it. And next thing you know, we've opened a, a little studio in Rose Bay. And I'm so passionate about little ones and baby ballet and the energy you give from the front of the studio. Mm-hmm. And I just want to change the game a bit in that space. And I want a space that kids can come to and can express themselves and explore this creativity. And we build beautiful spaces for full time, but you don't see a lot of beautiful spaces for baby ballet. And as I said to someone the other day, without baby ballet, what is the future of ballet? Mm. I'm really passionate about it and we do adult ballet and I've got beautiful like women in their 60s and 70s that want to come and express themselves and it's such a beautiful art form and I still believe a ballet bar is still one of the most beautiful workouts you can, can, I will do a ballet bar until the end of my life because I think it's so beautiful and it's so good for you and now I feel like I'm in another phase which is right where I'm meant to be passing on knowledge, passing on energy, still within that beautiful realm of where it all began. Brooke, I am so grateful for you, you know, just sharing your life and, you know, being so vulnerable today. So thank you. You're welcome. We will follow your journey with great interest and, you know, so much more of life to come. Thank you so much for having me. Brooke continues to direct and teach at her studio in Rose Bay in Sydney. For class times and to sign up, head to studio696.com.au or you can find them on Instagram at studio696x. And you can follow all of Brooke's wonderful adventures on her Instagram at Brooke Castle. Brooke and I recorded our conversation on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation to whom we pay our greatest respects. Talking Points is produced by Fjord Review, Remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And if you like us, please leave a five-star review. On the next episode of Talking Points, you'll hear from the man known as Cooper Nielsen, Ethan Stiefel. That combination, I think, of my being at ABT now, at the time, I think that led to, you know, more interest in me, potentially by the folks who were making the movie. But then once the movie landed, for, for certain, I mean... It wasn't uh, like a Brad Pitt or anybody like that, but uh, it was pretty funny that I'd actually be yelled at from across the street, but people would be using Cooper. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, with additional production by Penelope Ford and Clint Topic. Sound production and editing is by Martin Peralta at Output Media. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com.